This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Do you do most cookies in the winter? Is that when Cookie Prince Hmm. comes to play? I feel like my perception is skewed. Did you just say Cookie Prince? Yeah, he's the Cookie Prince. You just like shot it out like as though like you called him the Half-Blood Prince. Jesse is the Cookie Prince. Jesse is the Cookie Prince. Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. This is Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. And today, I am joined by two of my colleagues. Folks, you want to introduce yourselves? Yes. Hi, I'm Kendra Vaculin, Associate Food Editor. I'm Jesse Sefcik, and I'm a Food Editor for Epicurious. Awesome. Well, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about what winter cooking means to us. Nice. And then we're going to take some listener questions. How does that sound? Good. Sounds great. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Jesse. I'm like, I'm not looking at Kendra. I'm Sounds looking great to me. right into your eyes. I'm boring into your soul right now. I I'm came ready. to work in like a version of pajamas, like <gasps> the most work appropriate version of pajamas. So I'm ready to talk cozy. Chic though. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jesse, what does winter cooking mean to you? I mean, I love braising. When people ask, what's your favorite thing to cook? I just say braises. Mm. I love like chicken legs. I love just putting them on for hours, using it as a heat source, which is probably dangerous, but that's what I think of. Yeah, anything that I can do in my Dutch oven, Mm -hmm. basically. And then, like, put the Dutch oven with the lid on directly into the refrigerator. Like, reheating in the Dutch oven, decanting? Decanting into my one bowl and then heating the bowl up or whatever. (laughs) Into the bowl? (laughs) You know, I have a favorite bowl. Everyone's got a favorite bowl, please. Uh, It's true. I feel like, you know, I don't crave that much meat, generally speaking, Mm. but braised meat, totally, completely, texturally transformed meat, such as you achieve in like more kind of like wintry, cozy approaches to cooking, that still gets me going. Yeah. Brisket bourguignon. Sure, Mm, yum. Big time. Boozy braising. Mm. I, I feel like we've had some real bangers this season. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Braises are good. Braises are great. Baked pasta is always good. Sure. Pasta in general. I love rice dishes in general, mm. and they feel wintry to me. So like a, a biryani or like mm. chicken and rice cooked together. I also love a soup. I am just like a, such a hoe for a soup. So like <laughs> I think if there, <laughs> if there's a way to just like, and that's, that's put the Dutch oven in the fridge move for me for sure. It's just like a soup. Yeah. I feel like it is not a time to, like, pare back Mm. culinarily for me. Yeah. I think it's the saddest time of year, and so I need to get my kicks however I'm going to get them, and that's through, like, a mac and cheese. Mm. Yeah. Well, okay, we're just going to go in hard on some listener questions now. Great. Are we good? Perfect. Okay. Email from listener Emily. 
My husband is a pescatarian, and I do not have any dietary restrictions. We love cooking fish and veggie meals, but when fall and winter come around, I always wish I could make a warm, roasty, slow-cooked meal that takes hours to cook, and the whole house smells like a holiday. My favorite dishes that I grew up eating are my mom's beef brisket, which cooks for five hours, and my grandma's roasted chicken, which cooks for two. Is there a low and slow meal I can make for my family that doesn't have meat, but achieves that same warm, roasty holiday feeling? Jesse Shefchek, kick us off. You know what you have to do here. Well, I feel like two things immediately come to mind. Just like lazy beans, just like mm. braise some beans, even just braise them in like olive oil, even like really low and slow in the oven with like garlic and lemon. Or you can braise fish, like a thicker, hearty white fish, I don't know, like a halibut, a cod or something. I feel like in a tomato sauce mm-hmm. would be really beautiful. Yeah. I love that idea of the beans because I feel like you can get those flavors in there that you would get with a brisket or with your chicken. Like all the ancillary flavors, you can put those in your beans. Totally. I was like going to sort of like a fish pie place, mm. I'll admit. Oh, Interesting. Pie. Like it's not as much of a thing in America. And part of it is because in America, we don't have that incredible smoked haddock that they have in England. That's like, basically it's like boneless, very meaty, flaky. And it's nicely smoky. Like our smoked fish is like salmon, meaning like hot smoked salmon, which is not quite right. Mm. But then also like mackerel and trout. Trout works, you know, if you can kind of get the bones out. It's just, but you need it in concert with another kind of like mild fish, like a cod or a hake or haddock or something. Um, oh, Eggplant biryani. Yeah, yeah. Ashalupi. I love that one. Holy Hannah. Has more flavor ever leapt out of a Dutch <laughs> oven. It's such a good recipe. And in Asha's capable biryani making hands. I love that one. Yeah. It's good. It has a lot of steps. A lot of steps. So it can scratch that itch for you of like a day long thing. Yep. You're cooking down onions, a lot of onions for a long time. You're making that paste of all your spices and stuff. And then... You've got this really fragrant rice with it. It's so good. Mm. Where I thought you were going to go instantly, and you didn't take me there, and that's Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. But now I'll take you there, Mm -hmm. and hopefully that'll be okay too. Roasted cheesy cabbage wedges. It's not quite the same thing, but it's like almost the same thing. Also so good. Also so good. It is a project, and it does make a statement. Yeah. This was from the Thanksgiving issue, and it's cabbage wedges that— You make a cheese sauce and you use it almost as like a glue and you just load up cheese on the outside of wedges and like you just roast and burn them and they get charred and tender and then you serve it with more of that cheese sauce. So good. And basically the prompt was like make a centerpiece that wasn't turkey and this is what I came up with. We were loving it. There were many iterations in the test kitchen. Many, yes. Um, And I think no one was mad about that. Yeah. I mean, it's like the way you described it sounded slightly unhinged. Like <laughs> the sauce is the glue for more cheese. I guess that's and my it, mind. But but it's it, honestly, it's like this is not an edge case. It think of it as like cabbage gratin, mm-hmm. but yes. like mm-hmm. in yes. a not farty cabbage kind of way. Like we actually roasted it and treat it in such a way that you get like real texture, real flavor transformation as well. It's mm. cheesy. It's rich, but it's not out of spec for, like, wintry cooking no. full stop. You yeah. know what I mean? Like It yeah. started as a gratin. I, I also, what I immediately thought of was, like, the only low and slow fish I can think of is olive oil roasted salmon. Like, when you get, like, a side of salmon and you essentially poach it in olive oil in your oven in a baking dish for a long time. And usually that's, like, the, the one I think that's most popular for us on the site has sliced citrus on top of it. So it does take you away from winter. Or, well, I mean, citrus is a winter fruit, but 
to me, that flavor profile, mm. like, reads so much lighter. Yeah. So you, but I think you could play in that space if you wanted to. If you just did lemon and garlic, I guess, in the olive oil and then made that oil mixture into like a gremolata afterwards, spooned it into a bowl with like a bunch of chopped herbs or something or even like woodsy herbs. I think you could make it into a wintry dish, even though it feels kind of light. Last thought. It doesn't have to be, but if it is, that's fine. (laughs) But I don't want you to think like, oh, there will be no more thoughts after this thought. I'm just saying like, (laughs) this is my final thought. Also, maybe look in the direction of like a Danabe, you know, oh. or like Danabe style cooking. Yeah. I feel like thinking about, you know, certain branches of Japanese cooking and using dashi as your foundational broth. And it's not as long cooking necessarily. Like a lot of Danabe, I feel like it's just not cooking for hours. But I think like some of the vegetable mix-ins, the ability to poach fish directly in, you know, your kind of your stock medium. There's a lot there to uncover. And that might be like a really worthwhile kind of exploration for you to sort of tap into that strain of vegetable and pescatarian-based cooking Mm -hmm. because there's so much there. Mm, For sure. And then that gets me started thinking about Korean cuisine as well. You know, like tofu. Tofu jjigae. Jjigae. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. I could not get the word out of my mouth. Um, Yeah, yum. So good. Um, Or lots of like rice cakes. Yeah. Um, Rice cakes. Oh my, I mean, again, it's like, no, you're not cooking them for hours. And I know you're looking for that experience. My God, from a flavor perspective. mm -hmm. For cozy. It's the same experience eating it. Yeah. 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 The experience. Oh my, exactly. It's like the richness. Like you, you will sit there and you will think, I have sacrificed nothing to create this intensity of flavor. Totally. Anywho, we're talking way too much about this, but like (laughs) there's a lot here. Yes, definitely. Mm. All right. Let's tackle this email from Ryan. Love the show. Thank you, Ryan. Need your help cooking for a friend. I love cooking steak, and my friend equally enjoys eating steak, but she will not eat it if there is any red. She will only eat it well done. Obviously, this creates a challenge for me because I've wanted to make a beef wellington, but my heart can't do it well done. I also have wanted to prepare other steak meals, prime rib, etc., but no can do. I do have a sous vide, and I'm wondering if that might be a solution. Otherwise, do I give up on cooking steak for this friend? I just need to say the pun that came into my head. Beef well Dunnington. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. I guess the sous vide could be a solution just because program one to higher temp and the other to there and just serum when your friend comes over. One is for him and one for Yeah, <laughs> literally. I mean, that's the most like pragmatic answer I have. Totally. I don't even think you need the sous vide. I mean, I don't, I guess I, I understand the problem, but I guess I don't understand the problem. Is it about this person getting over their inability to accommodate somebody else's dietary preferences, you know, doneness preferences? Like, because to me, it's just like, just do two friggin' steaks and cook theirs a little bit more. Mm. Big whoop. <laughs> like, you can have your meat. Like, why does it always have to be this like, oh, let me get like a tomahawk steak, you know, that's like some big centerpiece statement. Right. Statement, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, and sorry, I'm, it's like we're really going He's sideways here. Line. You started I know, it. I know, I'm sorry. I'm you sorry. started it. it okay. Um, get two smaller steaks. Yeah. And it'll be fine. I think it is. And you don't even need steaks. to lean on sous vide. I think you can affect a similar outcome through much more primitive, hands-on, less time-consuming means. What if you made her a different type of beef? There, I think there's some cuts that you can cook farther and it's okay. Like yeah. a skirt steak, I think, is like less showing, you know? Definitely. Like you could probably hide some pink in there and she wouldn't know. But I, I mostly mean like what if you just 
Braise it. Braise it. Braise. Like made short ribs or something. There's so many things you could do with beef that would satisfy someone who doesn't want to see any pink. That's a really elegant compromise. I was really prepared to dig (laughs) in on this and be like, no. No. Um, So dark and stormy pot roast. (laughs) Can I talk about this? It's technically in the February issue, so it's coming out. It's coming soon. soon. All right, all right. I'll give you some details. But um, yeah, I mean, this was kind of like a crazy idea I had. You know, pod roast is savory and it's deep and it's always the same flavors. What if it was like really bright and almost had a spice to it, a kick to it? So I tried to take all the flavors of Dark and Stormy, so... Pot roast is braised now in like ginger beer and beef stock and fresh ginger and garlic, and it has a bunch of herbs on it and lime juice. And so, there's rum in there too, right? There's, yeah, there's dark rum in there. Yeah. It's so good. It's so it's brain so stupid. Good. It's like the potatoes in there soak up all of this ginger. It's like because it's double ginger, right? Fresh ginger and ginger beer. It is double and ginger, it's yeah. so good. It's so good. It was like an exercise in me just like doing something weird and it it worked out. It worked out so well. And as like a testament to just the influence of time and temperature on meat, you know, but not necessarily going to this like sad TV dinner, just Mm. like gray lump, like no nuance, no flavor. It's just a kaleidoscope of flavor just showered all over this thing. You know, Mm. I think it is, it's so good. And that is one of, like, those cases where I'm just like, wow, you know, like, I love vegetables in so many applications, but, you know, if you're somebody that does eat meat, this type of application is, wow, like, there is undeniable power to it. Yeah. So I I feel like you have options here. Like statement meat, you've got some runway here, okay? Yeah, it doesn't have to be one steak you share or nothing. Yeah, 100%. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, how to make bland but not boring foods to soothe your stomach after holiday indulgence. Hi, friends. I'm Cameron Rogers, mental health advocate, mom of two, content creator, and host of Conversations with Cam. This podcast is dedicated to having honest conversations, prioritizing your well-being, and reminding you that no matter what you're feeling, you are not alone. We'll discuss mental health maintenance, the ups and downs of motherhood, the trials and tribulations of life, and have a lot of fun along the way. Whether you're knee-deep in diapers or just trying to keep your sanity intact, this podcast is for you. Expect laughs, maybe a few tears, and hopefully some breakthroughs along the way. Make sure to subscribe and tune in for new episodes of Conversations with Cam every Wednesday morning. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we are back. Next up, we've got a voicemail from listener Rachel. Hi, I'm calling because I have some problems with acid reflux, as many women in their 20s discover and find out. Unfortunately, love all of the things that are terrible for me. I love 
um, to drink. I love really spicy food and I love really high acid food, things like tomato sauce, all the things that really upset my stomach. So I'm hoping to find some recipes that can actually help my stomach, things that can avoid the high acid, the spice, but that aren't boring. A lot of times when I get these sort of flare-ups, I end up eating literally just like plain pasta or plain chicken soup or just like bread. And it's really sad. I feel you on this. Um, particularly right now, I'm going through a acid reflux phase. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And so I totally hear you. And I am with you sitting up as straight as I possibly can after my meal. So we are sisters in arms, Rachel. Um, I would say things with yogurt are really good here and things with spices that aren't spicy. So not to make biryani the answer to every single thing that we've been asked today, but I do think like a rice dish that is deeply spiced with things like cumin or turmeric that aren't spicy but really flavorful. And you can put like alliums in there, like lots of caramelized onions and garlic or even ginger, um, things like that. And then a scoop of yogurt at the end is really helpful because then you have that like cooling angle. And for me, like low fats dairy, like often people will suggest like if you have acid reflux, like drink a low fat glass of milk. And so to me, a yogurt will have similarly healing properties. So yeah, I think that would be my suggestion to you. I love like mujadra, mujadra, like a rice and lentils cooked together with caramelized onions. And it has like, you can put like za'atar on it. And so that's like really simple and basic, but very flavorful and with yogurt on it too. Yeah. My, my brain went to a similar place, like in terms of, you know, yeah, take out the kind of capsicum heat, but like it, just try to see like how much spice and flavor, meaning whole spices, black mustard seeds, cumin, coriander, things of that sort. And I went right, my brain went right to like kitschdi. Um, hmm. We have a, a couple recipes on the site, but point being like combination of lentils or mung dal and rice and a little bit of fat, but a lot of just like really aromatic spices. Just a, a great way to have like a bowl of, of comfort that's like pretty, pretty neutral. I think, you know, a, like a, a deeply caramelized allium and its ability to really deepen the flavors of like whatever dish it becomes a part of. Yeah. The combination of like a easy to digest food, something in the pulse world, but plus like rice, something again, like a grain that's like also easy to digest. Just really great way in here. Yeah. Mm, your yogurt had me thinking that my actual go-to thing I actually cook for myself at home is I take yogurt and I put whatever spices I want into it. And then I just put um, chicken breasts in it and yeah. then marinate them and then just cook it directly under the broiler and it's done. Yeah. In the yogurt? Yeah. I take them out, but I don't take the yogurt off or anything. Yeah. Right. It's still coated. And it, it's so tender and it browns so nicely under the broiler and it cooks really fast. So like to your point, you could use spices like cinnamon and it would be beautiful or these non-heat source spices. Right. Yeah. I love that idea. Nice. All right. Next up, we have an email from Savannah. I am a vegetable lover and busy doctor. And so the allure of a sheet pan vegetable meal is strong. My issue is that every time I try to roast vegetables, I end up with a soggy mess rather than beautiful broiled vegetable goodness. Do you have any thoughts on why my vegetables look like they come from the 90s and tips on how to get that beautiful roast I am looking for? Mm. Kendra, I'm looking straight at you. Okay, I think uh, there's a couple things that could be going wrong. One is you could be crowding your pan. You need to have ample space around each piece of vegetable in order for it to crisp and not steam. Like when, when everybody's bunched together, when like a piece of broccoli is the liquid is released from it in the oven, it will like 
try to latch on to its neighbors as opposed to drying out and getting like a crisp exterior. So making sure you're not overloading the pan with too much stuff. I think there's like a sweet spot in the amount of oil that you use or the amount of fat that you use in roasting vegetable. And I think some people are meager with the olive oil drizzle. And you really do have to like give it a good glug to coat everybody evenly um, before you put it on the pan. And then the other thing I would say is your oven temperature might not be high enough. Roasted vegetables can take like a 425, 450 degree oven. Like you can really go up there. And like if you're trying to roast your broccoli at 325, it's just not going to happen and not going to make a nice crisp floret. So yeah, I think I think there's a couple things to fine tune there. Fully agree. Any thoughts, Jesse? You can also cheat it from a visual. Like oftentimes with recipes, I'll add a bunch of smoked paprika or maple syrup to help it caramelize to just give it that appearance mm-hmm. too, which I think helps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like there's some vegetables that, my gosh, like they just, like, has anybody ever successfully like burnt cauliflower? <laughs> I mean, it's like there's so much water in there. Yeah. You could roast it for an hour, you okay. know, and it's like not too much almost. The other thing is if you have any vegetables that you're cutting into pieces and you have like flat sides, ensuring that the flat cut side is what's down on the pan means you're like maximizing the surface area of the vegetable itself that's in contact with the hot surface of the pan. And that will give you the most amount of burnished char potential as opposed to like the stuff that's kind of just like in the air. Well, yeah. And to your point about the fat quotient, right, Kendra, I think it's a good point because the parts of the vegetable that aren't making direct contact with your baking sheet or your roasting pan, oil and fat in general, that is part of what is going to efficiently transfer the heat, you know, the convective heat of the oven environment to those vegetables. Like that is really, really, really key. Just the hot air on its own isn't going to get you there. It's really like important to have the fat or to Jesse's point, having like a powdered spice, even like some a source of sweetness, a touch of honey or maple is so good for promoting those kind of like caramelization reactions you're looking for. For sure. People also are prone to lining their pans because mm. that's what they're told to do. And I find a lot of vegetables will caramelize so much better if you just put it right on the pan. Yeah. You have to clean it, but like putting the parchment between or a silicone mat or something really prevents it from caramelizing as much. That is a great point. That's a really yeah. good point. Those silicone mats with vegetables? Are Even tinfoil. People tin put tinfoil tin and like yeah. that, you think, oh, it's metal, so it'll do the same thing. It really will not. Changes it, yeah. Yeah, and especially if something gets stuck to it. If something gets stuck to the pan, you can like use a fish spatula and get it off, and then you have that like burnished, burnt bit to eat. But if it gets stuck to your tinfoil, you're That's not going to— That's where good. the flavor yeah, is. Yeah, now it's on the tinfoil and in your garbage can and not in your dinner. Another thing that people, I don't think they think is real, but it is, is the placement of your oven rack. Mm. So put it low. If you want— your more caramelization roast on the bottom rack because it's closest to most people's heat source. So that contact you are getting is if you had higher heat. Jesse is like a, a oven rack placement truther. Like I was making these. I really am. Though. You are. Like there have been multiple dishes where I've put something up for tasting, and Jesse's like, "You should cook this in the bottom rack of the oven." And then I do, and it's so much better. The buns for Thanksgiving. Oh. Uh-huh. I just moved them to the bottom rack, and then it was perfect. I can look at a sheet of cookies and tell you where it was baked. <laughs> <laughs> Cookie prints. <laughs> Cookie prints strikes again. We're going to take another break. When we're back, how to potluck without a kitchen. From the creators of Who Smarted, Starglow Media comes a brand new podcast called Mysteries About True Histories. 
Uh, does that sound serious enough? Uh, Max, we only have 30 seconds for this promo. Just tell them how your mysterious aunt recruited us into a secret order of problem solvers who travel time and have epic adventures. I don't have to. You just did. Catch new episodes of Mysteries About True Histories every Thursday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Dinner SOS. Our next question comes from Joy. Joy writes, I'm really hoping I can get some help with this conundrum, really for my own job security. Whoa, stakes are high. I work in a student affairs office at a Midwestern university, and about twice a semester we have an office lunch potluck for our student and professional staff, about 25 people. Every time, I struggle for ideas. Obviously, it is cold for most of the school year in the Great Plains, so we want to bring hot foods, but we don't have a kitchen or anything, so there are limited ways to heat things up when we actually get to the office. I feel like my only option is my rice cooker doll, which I like, but is not a big hit for those who do not like spicy foods. Anything involving meat or dairy feels unsafe, and a pasta or casserole dish seems like it would either have to be served cold or with bacteria at room temperature. And then... Others have this conundrum, so at the actual potluck, we just have a variety of soups, which is yummy, but boring when it is the same thing everywhere. So I'm wondering if you have ideas for good cold weather, office potluck, dishes that won't result in mass sick days. Any help is appreciated. This is a tough one. My gut, because when faced with a challenge that I can't solve, is to just, like, evacuate. My thought is, like, Bake a cake. I was going to say, just make a dessert. Like, if everyone's bringing soup and you don't want to just bring another soup and we, we can't solve this problem some other way, though I think we probably can if we put our minds to it, my my thought would be, like, make a cake. Or, like, a savory baked good. Sure, I don't know, like, yeah. just, like, a big tray of pizza, like, focaccia or something, oh, you know? fun, yeah. Or, biscuits. like, cheesy. Yeah. Go with the soup. Like, cheddar cheese, scallion, jalapeno biscuits or yeah. whatever. Cornbread. A good cornbread. Cornbread. This does seem the most practical. But... If we were to try to steer them towards some dish or some means of preserving the temperature of a dish. When they say soup, are they microwaving the soup? Or are they transporting it in a, yeah, like a crock pot? Huh. Well, if they can have a crock pot, then you could have a lot of things because you just plug those bad boys in, right? Mm -hmm. You can, yeah. Yeah. Party meatballs. I love a party party meatballs. meatballs. But does everybody know what a party meatball did? Because I sure didn't up until two weeks ago. Party meatballs is like a jam and Heinz chili sauce sauce-based meatball. <laughs> <laughs> you see the word Midwest University and you're like, party meatballs? <laughs> hey, I attended a Midwest University. I was one of these people. I worked at—I was a student worker at the admissions office. Um but did you give the tour? Of course, I gave the tour, Chris. I, f- I feel like we haven't a hundred percent cracked this one, but it's okay. We've covered a lot of ground. Tell us the next question, and okay. sort of doing that distraction thing is going to then tell me the answer to this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Email from Lindsay. I'm a big fan of the show, and I need your help. My favorite butter chicken spice mix, Indian Essentials butter chicken, has been discontinued. I love the spice packs because it makes weeknight Indian food so easy and keeps weeknight dinners fun. Do you have any alternative butter chicken spice packs that you can recommend or easy butter chicken recipes? Can I just say, you know, my initial instinct is to sort of be like, come on, you can make your own butter chicken. But here I am 
mourning the fact that I can no longer get Rick Bayless's red chili enchilada sauce packets. <laughs> Miles. No, they are so good. And they have saved me hours and hours and hours of my life that I just didn't necessarily need to be rehydrating chilies at that moment. Sure. Okay. They have been a leg up into a better me. Even last night, <laughs> I used my last pack of the medium green chili enchilada sauce. (laughs) I braised some chicken thighs in it and put it on nachos. And honestly, I was blowing minds on a Monday night. (laughs) The gesticulation that Chris is doing with his hands. Full Italian American. (laughs) Arms are are pumping. Like two pistons uh, going up and down and side to side. We have a Frontera grill fan. Yeah. Oh, my I, God. Listen, they are good for like a shelf-stable sauce in a pouch. Mm-hmm. Okay? Easy to store. Easy mm-hmm. to transport. I'm a, I'm a believer. Okay. So you would you understand this person is facing a sadness. Yes. I Literally, the first thing I did was Google Rachel Gurjar butter chicken. Yeah. <laughs> like, is there... she, I don't think she's ever done <laughs> I it. I don't think she's done one for us, no. We were going to do one a while ago, but I don't know. Maya Kaimal has a line of simmer sauces. So Maya Kaimal does have a butter masala, but this is not like a dry flavoring pack. Maybe. Brooklyn Deli has, a, I know, a glass jar of cashew butter masala. Yeah, yep. Mm. Brooklyn Deli is great. So Lindsay's referring to like a spice pack. Mm-hmm. And that sounds to me like more of a dry mixture as opposed to— Which is kind of cool. Which is kind of cool because what cool. would that be? Um, why don't I click on the link, which is like literally in the dock right in front of me? Oh, Indian Essentials. I've seen this brand. Oh, ingredients, spices. Yeah, right there on the label. Okay, this is this is crazy, but I do think in terms of the spices, if you make this with such regularity that you like rely on this pouch all the time, I think you could just make yourself a spice blend. It's worth it to like one time go to the grocery store and be like one whole thing turmeric one whole thing you know like get all the things that you need dump them all in their proportions into like a large tupperware and then just like that's your tupperware of your spice blend and then you can like scoop that in with your tomato base and cream cream Um, butter yeah shortcut sauce yeah totally and like you could obviously make a huge batch of the sauce and then freeze it that could help you too but if you want just the spice contingent I think you could just make yourself a blend and label it your butter chicken spice blend yeah um all right big finish oh it's a voicemail great hi chris my name is i i'm calling from maryland and i am here with my eight-year-old daughter hi my name's tessa so we love listening to your podcast so our problem is that we are a family of five busy weekdays And we don't want to come home or I don't want to come home from work on a weeknight, tired, and spend an hour in the kitchen making dinner every night. So I've gotten in the habit of preparing slow cooker meals on Sunday afternoon and I freeze them and then I stick them in the slow cooker before I go to work in the morning. So we would love some ideas on slow cooker recipes if you've got any. And no meat. Oh, that's right. We have a vegetarian in the house. Her name is Tessa. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone else likes meat. Anyway, if you have any ideas, we are all ears and keep up the excellent podcasting. Bye. Thank you. I love, I too was a a child vegetarian for a time. The one terrorizing my family 
by insisting, you know. It was very brief. It was short-lived. But I understand Tess. So the workflow is like she's doing all these slow-cooked meals on a Sunday, but then she's freezing them in such a way that she can drop them back into a slow cooker to reheat and rewarm, defrost the whole thing on a weekday over the course of the day. I think that's the vibe, yeah. Okay. I mean, we were in a butter chicken mindset, so I immediately thought of chana masala. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that is a really easy thing to make in a a slow cooker, especially if you cook the chickpeas from dried. Mm -hmm. Um, There's definitely added value if you're doing it from dried. Yeah, it also keeps keeps your cost down too um, because you can get a big bag Mm. for cheap. And you can serve those with like rice, which you can just make in your rice cooker so easy, and like flatbread, like you can buy naan from the grocery store or whatever. I feel like chilies are also always great in a slow cooker. Yeah. With like grains, I think, are really fun too. You can throw some quinoa in there, throw some lentils in there too, and it like soaks up and thickens it really nice over the course of the day. (sighs) This one, I'm like, I'm like, I, I was the one who said strong finish, and I'm the one who's like at the back of the pack, just like... You know, um, part of it is that, like, it's speaking to what we were talking about before. Like, what are the vegetarian recipes that truly benefit from the slow cooker treatment Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a super flavorful dish that you don't need a slow cooker to cook, although you could reheat it in a slow cooker? And that's where I'm like, the tofu with peanutty sauce kind of is a winner. There's no reason to do it in a slow cooker whatsoever. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's way easier not to. Like you can, you, some dishes, like you just, you need to simmer out your aromatics in oil. Like you can't just dump in a slow cooker, you know what I mean? The way you can with meat-based dishes, which are a little bit more forgiving of that kind of treatment. Okay, here's another thing I thought of. There is a recipe on the site by Andy Baragani called Vegetarian Meatballs with Soy Honey Glaze. Mm. I think what you could do is, and these are baked meatballs, and they're like a mushroom and chickpea-based mixture. You could bake off the meatballs on Sunday and then freeze them or put them in the fridge and then make like a robust marinara sauce that becomes your slow cooker thing. So that's what gets reheated. And then you just throw the frozen meatballs back in there to heat through in the sauce. And then you can have like garlic bread and a salad. Like party meatballs. It's party meatballs, but a different type of party. I think soup also could be fun to explore if you have a mixture of like diced potatoes and all the aromatics cooking. Yeah. And if you have a stick blender, come home at the end of the day, blend it up, throw in some cheese, and that would be like a really comforting like baked potato soup kind yeah, of what vibe. Was that? Yum. that shilpa potato soup recipe. Oh, yeah. That's so good. It was a what a steel recipe. Let me see. Perfectly creamy potato soup. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, it's you, really good. You could like tweak that to do like start it in the morning, blend it at night. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, I was thinking about like a doll. Like we we mm. have multiple dolls on the site. Like we have one from Andy. We also have um, doll Palak from Chitra Agarwal mm. of Brooklyn Deli. Yes. And just so many spices, so much flavor. No real reason necessarily to cook it initially in a slow cooker, but you could certainly reheat it in one. And yeah, just a great showcase of the power of aromatic spices and a pulse coming together with like other aromatics. So... Yeah, and you don't have to worry about it, like, overcooking because you want it to. Yeah, yeah. it's it would take that kind of treatment really well. A few more to throw at you. Coconutty beans and greens stew mm. yeah, from Zainab Issa. Pasta fazool. Mm-hmm. I can't say it mm. without saying pasta fazool, but it's the one that I did that has, like, lasagna noodles in it. You know, fun. even if those get kind of mouchad, no big deal. It's fine. It's part of the experience. Like, it should kind of cook down into, like, a glorious gunge. Yeah, same with pasta y cheche. 
Yeah. She's passing. I, she, <laughs> a word I, I just recently learned I've said wrong my whole life. Jesse was like, I'm making pasta oh, CC. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know that classic dish, dish pasta CC. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Also, like a vegetable pozole. Oh, fun. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Would be so great. I feel like pozole is like really easy to overlook in the stew space. Mm -hmm. And because of the way you can top it with so many fun things, like to serve it, but you can get so much flavor out of blistered green chilies, tomatillos, or going in more of like a tomato-y direction. Like you have so many options. The, The Rick Bayless Enchilada sauce is a real winner here. If you can find it, <laughs> hoard it, hold on to it forever, and don't let it go because one day you could wake up and it won't be there anymore. Rick, Rick, are you listening? Rick! <laughs> Ship a case Help. to One World Trade Center. <laughs> um, Ribolita. Oh, hmm. Ribolita, yum. Soups in general, I think, soups. are really good. Yeah. Like, it, Party soups. And you can just, a la minute, do like grilled cheese sandwiches or quesadilla or whatever yeah. on the side, and then have your soup and, and dilla. And eat it too. That is it for the cozy mailbag edition of Dinner SOS. Kendra, Jesse, are we feeling okay? I'm feeling cozy. Feel good. All right. I'm going to braise something. Good. Sounds nice. We're going to all go home and raise something, yeah, for a long time, and then sleep in flannel sheets. If you have a dinner emergency on your hands, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. You can find the recipes mentioned on today's episode on the Epicurious app brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to Dinner SOS. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co-hosts this week are Jesse Shefchek and Kendra Vaculin. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Jordan Bell is our executive producer. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Cameron Foos is our assistant producer. Gabe Caroga engineered for us today. Amar Lal makes this episode. Next week, Eddie wants to make delicious breads and pastas from scratch, but has been stymied by dough. I've reached it a couple times in the kitchen, actually, where I was making pasta, or I tried making naan once. I tried making this other, like, non-leavened, flatbread-y type thing. I also rage quit that. <laughs> Oh my God, I would have gone to any school that you gave me a tour of. I was a very good tour guide. It's like I can what, see that. polytechnic, like arts and agriculture. Like <laughs> you, you, you got mining classes here. Great. Sign me up. Did I you was, walk backwards? Of course I walked backwards. And I got really good at gesturing to my left, but saying, on your right, because I'm facing the I other direction. I could never do that. Oh, yeah. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Sparted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com.